Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy holidays. In segment three, we're going to preview the upcoming Mercedes-Benz Championship at my favorite course in the world, Kapalua's Plantation Course in Maui. We're going to be joined by tournament director Gary Planos. The event will launch the 2008 PGA season and always includes one of the best player fields with golfers like Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and Vijay Singh expected to play. We're also going to catch up in segment three with Linda Chung, the senior VP of the NBA's retail division. Chung will tell us about the relaunch of NBAstore.com and give us some last-minute Christmas gift ideas. In segment four, Sports Ends, we're going to be joined by Michael Slive, the coordinator of the BCS, as well as the commissioner of the SEC. Slive will provide some great insight into the current BCS format and if we should expect any changes to the format, like a plus one or even a playoff format anytime soon. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. We've added an interviews section. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. This is one of the busiest shows of the year. Coming up in our headline segment, we're going to go in-depth on the Mitchell Report. We're also going to discuss the sentencing of Michael Vick. That's all coming up next in Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. After 20 months, the Mitchell Report was finally released on Thursday. The report is 409 pages long. The cost of the report is estimated at anywhere between $25 million to $60 million. Now, it's important to note that this investigation has had its share of challenges from the beginning. Mitchell and his group didn't have the power of the subpoena, and the Players Union and union leader Donald Fear wouldn't cooperate. The only people who could be forced to cooperate with the investigation were team trainers and strength coaches. According to ESPN.com, they faced a $100,000 fine or termination if they did not talk to Mitchell's investigations. 
Nathan Roach joins me. Nathan, Kirk Radomski, the former Mets clubhouse attendant, he turned out to be the key witness in this report. Oh, yeah, and he's the, by far the biggest rat right now. If I'm, if I'm Kirk, I'm out of town for sure. You know, the, the one person that came out looking good after all this, ironically enough, is Jason Giambi. He apologized. People forgave him, and he's basically disappeared. Yeah, you're right. He has disappeared. Now, there were some big names listed in this report, but honestly, none of the names really shocked us. And we might as well change the name of this report from the Mitchell Report to the Clemens Report because Clemens is going to be the most talked about player in this report. Five years from now, that's the guy we're going to remember. Other names in the report, Barry Bonds, Andy Pettit, Miguel Tejada, Eric Gagne, Mo Vaughn, Juan Gonzalez, Gary Sheffield, and Davis Justice. I want you to read my blog because I asked the question whether or not any of the players named in the Mitchell Report will file a defamation of character or libel lawsuit against Major League Baseball. Nathan, we look at someone like Lance Armstrong, seven-time Tour de France winner. He has vigorously defended himself any time he's ever been accused of doping, and he's won every single one of those times. If I'm Roger Clemens and I've got the Hall of Fame at stake, I've got my post-career endorsements at stake, even if I'm guilty, I sue because in the court of public opinion right now, he looks pretty guilty. Well, yeah, especially I was waiting right after this report was released. I was waiting for Clements and Pettit to come out with some sort of statement, and I waited and I waited. And as I waited longer, I started to wonder, are they actually guilty? Now the lawyer for Roger Clements came out later in the day and gave a statement, but that's what happened. you got to come out and start guns ablazing, denying this, and like you said, possibly take legal action. Well, and the thing is this, is that this is hearsay, and you could look at the people who have ratted these players out, and you could say, hey, they were disgruntled employees. There are no blood tests that were involved with this report. So if I'm Roger Clemens, I try and put the onus back on Major League Baseball and kind of put the blame back on them and say, hey, prove it. Prove to someone and prove to everyone out there that I doped because you don't have a blood test. I dare you to prove it, and I don't think they can. There's too big of a gray area. Well, yeah, and what's going to be interesting now is to see what types of punishments will take place. I mean, look at someone like Miguel Tejada, who was traded five days ago. What does this do for the trade? Is anything going to happen with regard to the trade? Are suspensions going to be handed out? You know, only time will tell. We'll have to wait to see what Selig does. Now, the other thing to remember here is George Mitchell is operating under an indemnity clause stating that Major League Baseball would be responsible for illegal cost of lawsuits brought in connection with this investigation. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to say on this topic, and we will get into this in much more depth the last weekend of the year, because this is going to be one of our top sports business stories of the year. I think Bud Selig, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and Donald Fear, the head of the Players Union, they should resign in disgrace. I have said this for months and months. They have turned a blind eye for years to this problem for the last 20 years. And if baseball is truly going to turn the page and get done with this problem, I think those two need to go away. Now, the summary of this report called out Major League Baseball for not acting earlier. They recommended year-round testing, greater transparency in the program, and outsourcing the drug testing program to an independent agency. I think this report is going to put an even greater divide between the Players Union and Major League Baseball. Well, yeah, and you know, the other thing going back to Selig, here's a guy who couldn't even tell us what he was going to do, what the punishment was going to be. He said it was going to be a case-by-case basis. I don't think this can be a case-by-case basis. Well, they've never been down this road before. I think... 
As we've seen with Seelig, he doesn't know what he's doing. I still don't think he knows what he's doing, and he doesn't know how to handle this situation. Our next headline, another huge story this week. Michael Vick was sentenced to 23 months in prison Monday for his role in a dogfighting conspiracy that involved gambling and killing pit bulls. Now, the suspended Atlanta Falcons quarterback could have been sentenced to up to five years in prison by District Judge Henry E. Hudson. Vic, who also received three years probation, must serve at least 85% of the sentence, meaning the earliest he could be released from prison would be May of 2009 when he's 29 years old. And Nathan, even at that point, he might face another year suspension from Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. So it looks like for the next two to three years, Michael Vick will not be in the NFL, and we may never see him again. Yeah, if I'm Michael Vick, I might just want to stay in prison, especially with all the financial troubles he's going to have. I mean, the Falcons are asking for the repayment of the $20 million signing bonus. You know, he had to pay a million dollars to take care of all these dogs, and he apparently owes the bank another $6 million loan. So, I mean, he is in such financial trouble right now, in addition to all of his legal trouble. Yeah, $145 million, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is what this will end up costing Michael Vick when it's all said and done. And if the week wasn't bad enough for Falcons owner Arthur Blank, in addition to seeing his franchise quarterback head to prison, Bobby Petrino, the coach who's not even three-fourths of the way through his first season with the team in the midst of a five-year, $25 million contract, he flies the coop in the dark of the night, goes to Arkansas to coach there, and now The Falcons don't have a coach. Here's my recommendation. Listen to this, Arthur Blank, if you're listening to this show. Bill Cower, bring him in, make him the GM, make him the coach, pay him $5 million a year, get instant respect. You need a coach who's going to sell tickets and who's going to be the face of your franchise that's what I'd do if I was Arthur Blank. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I agree with you. And Petrino, this guy can't look any worse than he already does. If I'm an Arkansas fan, I don't want him on my team. Well, and Nick Saban is happy that Petrino has done this because now Saban isn't the latest guy to fly the coop in the dark of the night. Our last headline of the week, former Knicks executive Anucha Brown-Sanders settled her sexual harassment suit against Madison Square Garden, MSG chair James Dolan, and Knicks president and coach Isaiah Thomas to the tune of $11.5 million. That was just $100,000 less than a jury had awarded her in punitive damages in October. Now, it's worth noting that originally when Anucha Brown Sanders had filed a suit against the Knicks, she was only asking for $6 million. So not only did the Knicks go through an embarrassing trial this summer where all these sordid details are brought out, but they end up paying her double. That goes to show you what a terrible business person James Dolan is. And Isaiah Thomas still has his job. That is amazing to me. It really is amazing, and some people say that's his true justice because he's made this mess and now he's got to live through it. Coming up next, Linda Chung with some Christmas gift ideas from the NBAstore.com and Gary Planos, the tournament director of the Mercedes-Benz Championships in Kapalua. That's going to be the PGA's first event of 2008 you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, the NBA recently relaunched their website, nbastore.com, just in time for the holidays. Sales on their site on Cyber Monday increased 32% versus last year. I'm joined by Linda Chung, Senior Vice President for the NBA's Retail Division. Linda, thanks for joining me. Hi, it's nice to be here with you. So you've got some great things going on this holiday season at both NBAstore.com and the NBA Store at Fifth Avenue in New York. Let's first start by talking about a fun promotion you've got called Drexler's Slam Dunk Delivery. The contest is running from now until January 15th. Tell us about that a little bit, if you would. Yeah, obviously, um, Clyde the Glide Drexler, an NBA legend and a dancing phenom, um, is a big part of this promotion. For purchasers from uh, NBAstore.com are automatically entered into a sweepstakes uh, with the grand prize winner winning an NBA Spalding basketball backboard um, called The Beast, uh, an entire practice wear wardrobe, and a rack of NBA basketballs delivered personally by Clyde Drexler. Let me ask you this. Sales of NBA jerseys, they're brisk as always. Which player jerseys are your hottest sellers this holiday season? Right now, Kevin Garnett is really one of our best sellers, obviously with him joining the uh, Celtics this season and them off to a very strong start. Um, he's been phenomenal, as has Ray Allen, uh, Steve Nash, uh, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant's always top of the list, um, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, we could go on and on. Sure. And what are some of your other hottest selling items during this holiday season? I was on your website, nbastore.com, and it looks like you've just got a plethora of different items on there. A lot to choose from. Yeah, I mean, we really pride ourselves on the range of selection that we have. We, um, we feel like we have the largest basketball NBA um, assortment in the world, um, something for all 30 teams. Uh, but some of our best sellers are women's collections doing really well. We've really hit upon an assortment for the female fan that is also quite fashionable as well. Um, we've been very pleasantly surprised by our furniture collection from Baseline um, for, you know, your the favorite fan in your life. There's sofas and recliners and rocking chairs. So really something for everyone online. You know, that's great. One of the other interesting features I like from your new website is that if you're a fan of a particular team or you have your eye on a certain item, you can be sent an email, and there's RSS feeds that will also notify you when those items are available. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we want our fans to be in touch with the latest products that are out there in our promotion. So um, we employ a variety of um, strategies so that they know how to find out what's new and happening, and RSS feeds is definitely one of them. They can also sign up with us um, to receive our email campaigns, and obviously if they visit NBA.com and read up on the latest highlights and scores, they'll also have an opportunity to see what's new through there. Retro merchandise, always very, very popular. We're in the middle of NBA Heritage Week presented by Adidas. Uh, Teams are wearing retro uniforms this week. Tell us about the offerings being uh, offered as part of that collection. 
Yeah, we have uh, nine teams wearing their retro uniforms during Heritage Week, which lasts through the 14th. Um, for example, the Chicago Bulls are wearing their 95-96 uniforms, which you may recall as the black uniforms with the red pinstripes. Right. Um, so there's a variety of items um, as part of that collection, but the one piece that really has um, garnered the most interest has been the banner jacket. So for the San Antonio Spurs, the back of the jacket shows their four championship banners, including the one for their win last season. That's terrific. So I've been to New York several times. I've been to the NBA store there on Fifth Avenue. It's just such a fun experience. I try and drop by every time I'm in town. I like how you can play some of the video games for free and then just get lost in the store for an hour or two. Uh, I understand that uh, Black Friday was a very successful day for the NBA store on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, it was the um, best Black Friday we've ever had here um, on our store on Fifth Avenue, which uh, we are entering our 10th season of being here in New York City, so we're quite pleased with that. Um, but re- honestly, the traffic and the sales have been terrific. We have fans from all over the world who come and visit us here in New York, so it's really, um, we always try to have it you know, be a really fun environment for, for visitors near and far. Well, NBAstore.com is the place to go. Linda Chung, Senior Vice President for the NBA's Retail Division. Thanks for joining me this week on Sports Business Radio. Thanks so much. Experts say buy what you know, and you know sports, right? But is it a good buy? For an insider's look at sports on Wall Street, Sports Business Radio presents Stock Up, Stock Down. My guest is Gary Planos. He's the tournament chairman of the Mercedes-Benz Championship at the Kapalua Resort on Maui, which, by the way, just happens to be my favorite golf resort on the entire planet. Gary, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. It's nice to hear those uh, pleasant pleasant openings. Well, I've had the good fortune of playing uh, your courses there several times, and it is truly God's country there. It's just so beautiful and, and scenic. And you've got the first PGA event getting underway in just a few weeks uh, at the Plantation Course, which is my favorite course there, December 31st to the 6th. It's the winners-only Mercedes-Benz Championship it's a $5.5 million total purse. The winner takes home $1.1 million. And a 2008 Mercedes-Benz CL550 to boot. Uh, how are things coming along with the preparations for the event? They're, they're going very well. We had a little rain last week, uh, quite a bit of rain. And, uh, uh, the, you know, the plantation course is unbelievable in how well it drains. And uh, I, uh, in looking at the golf course uh, yesterday, there's really – Nothing, nothing wrong with it. So we're in, we're in great shape going forward. I think it's probably in its best shape ever going into this will be our 10th Mercedes-Benz championship. Now, this is a winners-only field. VJ Singh is the defending champion. Obviously, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson have qualified to play in this event. Uh, you can get FedEx Cup points for playing in this event. So you usually have a stellar field. We have a great field. We have, you know, the... the you know the reason those guys are out there are to win tournaments, and uh, and this is a perk for winning one. So uh, we're uh, we're excited with the field we've got. So many tournaments now to attract the top players, do those extra things for the players and their families. And this is right after the holidays. What are the, some of the things that you guys do to entertain the players and their families when they come over there? Well, I mean, take take it right off the bat with the uh, with our title sponsor, uh, Mercedes Benz, um, Mercedes Benz USA. Uh, um, allows the players to have a complimentary courtesy car and a very nice courtesy car the week of the event. And then what we do is we provide them a, a room for the week. Um, most of them at the Ritz-Carlton, Kapalua. Um, and uh, 
you know, throughout the week, we're, we, it's, it's pretty easy to take care of 35 players. It's a lot different than having a, an event with 144, 150 players. So we, we take care of the players. And we, one, thing that's, one thing we're, we're blessed with is, is our resort um, is, is, is majoring in hospitality year-round. Right. So 51, 51 other weeks of the year, we're, our job is to take care of people. So when it when it comes time for Mercedes Benz Championship Week, um, we've been trained and we're ready to go. Well, and everything's so conveniently located. I mean, the Ritz Carlton is right there next to the course, and if you want to go snorkeling or sit by the pool, if you're a family member, it's all conveniently right there. So that's got to be nice for everyone coming into town. Well, and the resort resort plays a big role. You know, I mean, this is a this is a destination. It's a it's a it's a fun destination. There's lots of things to do, but the uh, players feel very comfortable staying in the resort. And uh, and in a large large part of the demand to to come to Kapalua when you win a tournament is because the families want to join join forces. And and they they you know all these players are bringing someone with them. You know, and it's just fantastic to see the families and uh, and and the integration of as you mentioned the Ritz Carlton, the restaurants, the golf courses, everyone joining forces and taking care of the PGA Tour for that first week of the year. Gary, just a few minutes left. How many people does the tournament draw over the course of the week? You know, I was there a few years ago and one of the nice things was you get a good crowd out there, but it's not quite as big of a crowd as you'd have on the mainland, so I got to move around a lot more freely. Well, it you know, and we're not, you know, with an island that's got a little bit more than 100,000 people uh, in its population, we're we're really not going to get too crowded here. And I think I think our our maximum attendance for a week was some thirty thousand people one year. So so it's and it, the plantation course is spread out over two hundred forty acres. So you've got a lot of room to a lot of room to put people. And even even on eighteen, when every, when the champions are coming down and the final final putts are hold on Sunday. It might look like there's 50,000 people out there, but generally that's that's what it looks like when you get 10,000 people gathered around one one arena. Any idea how much money this tournament pumps into the local economy each year? Well, it's a it's a huge uh, economic draw, and there's there's somewhere somewhere north of of 18, 19 million uh, is what goes into the economy, and we're we're very fortunate that we've been able to. Uh, not only throw the money into the economy, but also since the since the Mercedes Benz Championship has been here, we have we have poured some two point six million dollars back to local charities. How can people get tickets to the Mercedes Benz Championship uh, coming up if they plan on being uh, in Maui? Really, there's no there's no problem. We will not be sold out, so you can get them at the gate. You can also buy them at the uh, at the golf shops. You can go to www.kapalua.com. But not to worry, you can buy them at the gate, and we will have an. It's a very reasonable ticket for the individual rounds and practice rounds. It's twenty dollars a day, and then and then for the final two rounds, it's thirty dollars a day. Advanced yeah. ticket prices are fifteen dollars and twenty dollars. Those are great prices. I mean, to see PGA golf and see the caliber of golf at a course like this, uh, those are really tremendous prices. Gary Planos, the tournament chairman of the Mercedes-Benz Championship at Kapalua Resort on Maui. Thanks so much for making time for us this week. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for your support. And uh, watch us uh, January 3 through 6 as we uh, kick off the PGA Tour season. I'll definitely do that, and I hope to see you on Maui soon. Thanks, Brian. Aloha. Aloha. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day That's the island greeting that we send to you. 
from the land where palm trees sway. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Michael Slide. He's the commissioner of the SEC. He's the coordinator for the BCS. He's been kind enough to join us before. Happy holidays, Michael. Thank you, Brian, and same to you. So since we spoke last January, Florida has won the BCS National Championship. The Gators also won their second consecutive Men's National Basketball Championship. And the Lady Vols of Tennessee won the Women's National Basketball Championship. Not a bad year for the SEC, I'd say. Oh, you know, Brian, uh, it's one of those great moments in history uh, where uh, we did something unique in winning those three national championships. And in addition, in our league, uh, if you'll allow me to brag a minute, we won five additional national championships. So all in all, we had a you know a very very successful year competitively with eight uh, national championships and and the three you mentioned of course uh, are so unique uh, that it's never been done before. You know you sit atop a conference that I think from top to bottom and across all the sports as you just said it's really the best in America, but success has its price. You know I was reading recently in USA Today they had the coaches' salaries listed and the SEC has the highest average salary for its head college football coaches about one point nine million dollars per year. Nick Saban in Alabama is making about $4 million a season. Should we be alarmed that the coaches' salaries have escalated to the levels that they're at right now? Well, I think, uh, I, you know, it's a, that's, it's a good question and a complex one. Uh, first, I think it's important to understand that uh, the marketplace is unfettered to some degree because of the law. You know, in other words, no organization like an NCAA or the SEC or any other conference can step in and try to control coaches' salaries. The last time the NCAA did that, Brian, uh, we had the so-called restricted earnings coaches, and uh, we settled a case for about $53 million. Wow. So, you know, we, the, the law is that you can't control. Now, that, that means that's institutional decision-making that governs. And I think each institution uh, has to decide for itself uh, how it's going to compensate its employees. You know, in our part of the world, um, college football is, uh, is, you know, is very, very significant. Um, last year, we drew 6.5 million people uh, to our games, and we televised somewhere around 75 or 80 percent of our games. And so uh, 
you know, the revenue potential there is somewhat significant. I think Miles Brand has said it well when he talks about expenses, including compensation, outstripping uh, in terms of growth, you know, the, the growth rate that an institution experiences because the actual cost, the actual operations cost of athletics is about 3% of the university's expenses, and that's about the same as it was 15 years ago. But I do understand and have some concern about the relative, you know, the relative comparison of a president's salary to a coach's salary, and I think that's been expressed by all. But the mechanism to control that when you have in independence uh, among institutions is just not there. And one more question about coaches, and again, I'm sure this comes down to each institution, but you know, it seems like more and more we see not only football coaches, but basketball coaches leaving for more lucrative offers. I mean, these coaches are free agents. It's a free nation. They can do whatever they want, but what they've done is you know, they've sworn the allegiance of some of these recruits who have come to that school because of them, and then the coaches are down the road. Do you think it should be more difficult for coaches to get out of these contracts? Well, again, um, whether I think so or not, sure. uh, you know, I definitely do think so. However, there really isn't a way in which, uh, except by contract itself, uh, to, to change that. So when institutions and coaches negotiate contracts, you know, those issues have to be resolved contractually because you, you can't do it uh, organizationally. Now, the one place where we try to deal with this issue straight up is in the National Letter of Intent, where we tell the prospects that once you sign a national letter, you are signing with the institution. And uh, if a coach leaves, uh, you know, that is not an, uh, a, a circumstance that would relieve the student athlete from. Uh, the national letter, the hope there is, now whether it's naive or not is another matter, but the hope there is is that the prospect will pay a great deal of attention not only to the coach but to the institution itself and make a decision based on the institution. My guest is Michael Slive. He's the commissioner of the SEC. He's the coordinator for the BCS. Michael, last time you were on, we talked about your role as the BCS coordinator. You said it's a rotating role. I think you're in your second of a two-year commitment um, so what's next? Uh, have you guys decided who's going to replace you, and when does that person step into the role that you're in right now? Uh, the, John Swafford of the ACC will succeed me, Brian, as the coordinator, effective immediately after uh, the January 7th National Championship game. And then what does your role become? Uh, are you more in an advisory role after that since you've been in this uh, seat, which has you know, kind of been a hot seat the last few years? Maybe you can give John some advice. Well, maybe I can, but uh, I think uh, the way it's been done is that once you finish as a coordinator, you know, you're actually through. Uh, one of the ways, uh, your question is a good one, and it really the, the inference in your question is where's the continuity? Sure. And um, two years ago when I first started, uh, we, we created the position of the BCS administrator, and that's Bill Hancock, formerly of the NCAA Basketball Committee. Right. Bill is a constant, so uh, Bill works closely with me and my staff, Mark Womack, Charles Bloom, uh, here, and uh, then once the baton is passed, uh, 
Bill will work very closely with John Swafford and his staff. So there is the kind of continuity uh, that uh, that's important, uh, given the complexities and the visibility of the BCS. Now, the BCS, the other thing we talked about last time you were on is, I think there's a four-year deal in place you referred to, and I think we're in year two of that deal. So does that mean no changes to anything with the BCS could take place until that four-year window is closed? Is that correct? Uh, that's right. I, I've said from the beginning that, um, remembering, too, that the ABC Rose Bowl contract is an eight-year agreement, whereas the Fox agreement with uh, uh, the BCS is uh, a four-year agreement. We are about to finish our second year, and um, if there were to be any changes, first of all, not only would they take time to implement, but if they were to happen, but uh, so... You know, I think uh, it's unreasonable to think that anything could be done before that time. Is that 2010, 2011? Uh, This agreement goes through the 2010 game. Okay. So, you know, it's been a really exciting college football season. I can't remember a season where the teams ranked in the top three change positions more often. We even saw teams like South Florida, Missouri, Kansas in the top three at different points during the season. With more and more parity every year, do you think this topsy-turvy kind of a season is an anomaly, or is it a precursor for what we might see in the future? That's a good question, and I guess we'll, we'll have to see which one it is. Um, but certainly it has, been a, uh, it has been a season that all commentators, like yourself, have said is, is different than they've ever experienced, even the longtime observers of college football. I think, Brian, that and it's either nine or ten, but I think we had at least nine or ten different teams in the one-two slots, if I'm correct on that. So that is highly, you know, it, that is different than we've seen. Now, whether or not that's going to continue, uh, we don't know. Uh, you know, for the playoff proponents, then that, you know, then then the argument is that that kind of parity, you know, calls for a playoff, um, and uh, then the, the BCS uh, proponents you know, obviously feel like the goal is to have a one-two game. And this year, notwithstanding all the parity, uh, every human poll every that I'm aware of has the same two teams in the, in the one-two spots for the national championship game. So it's a very unusual year in, to the extent that you could have that kind of perceived parity. And yet when the voters came in, they all came in with the same two teams. You know, I've spoken with many of the decision makers like yourself, and I think I figured out the three main reasons for keeping the system the way it is. And I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. Number one, the university presidents like the history of the bowl games. Number two, the presidential oversight committee feels that the current system emphasizes the importance of winning during the regular season. That's what you just mentioned. And then number three, the university presidents really don't want to play games in December when student athletes are taking their exams. Would you agree with this assessment, and are these concrete things that aren't going to change? Well, you know, um, I don't anticipate significant, you know, I don't, let let me answer your first part of your question. The first part is, I think those items, that those criteria or characteristics that you just outlined are correct. Um, And uh, the, you know, the, the value of the regular season, the excitement of the regular season, the playoff element of the regular season, um, the rivalries that, that people do not want to diminish the value of, all of that, you know, it contributes to 
second part, the bowl system it has a long tradition. Again, there are people who feel like there are too many. You know, there are arguments on both sides, but but there is one argument that that really is important to us, and that is that as I look at our league this year with nine teams going to bowls, if there are a hundred players on a team, that means nine hundred and maybe closer to a thousand young men are going to have a postseason experience in a community that they they may never have been to or one in which they've never experienced the culture and you know that's uh that's very significant and it's an opportunity that we that we're trying to make sure we continue to have and then the academic calendar is just complex you know we take we don't play our bowl games until very late in the in the, you know September 28 29 we have exams in December and, I, and I've talked about football staying as a one-semester sport because you don't want to take the first two weeks of a new semester and have teams so enmeshed and so visible and in such demand that they can't really get a grip on their academics early in the year. So, uh, you know, you, and you start out in August, August, September, October, November, December, January. And so the, I think the presidents are just concerned about that. And I think all of us are concerned about that. And uh, so those are, you know, and, and people argue and, and people, you know, we get, we, I must have, I would tell you, Brian, I've got at least two feet, a stack two feet high of proposed models, all in good faith, people mm-hmm. who want to, you know, who want to see something different. But it's very hard to try to put everything together. The only, you know, one of the things I've talked about is maybe the only potential uh, format that would satisfy everybody is is a flexible format that you just change the format every year depending on how the year came out. And you can't do that in, any, in, in realistic terms. So we're all trying to do, you know, it's hard to satisfy everybody, and we're all trying to uh, think about that. And that's why you've seen me say that I've been open-minded and maybe looking at a plus one, uh, which is, would be that you take the existing, the existing structure and you'd make a couple of games sort of, a, you know, a... Uh, Play in towards a an international championship game, and that's under that's being looked at, it's debated, but uh, that at least fits within the current calendar and structure. So, bottom line, do you see any scenario in the next decade where bowl games and a playoff format, maybe an eight-team or even a sixteen-team format, could coexist together? Well. You know, you, you one can never predict what other people will do. You know, by that time, I will be gone, and a lot of other people will be gone, and who knows what another generation may think. But I don't, I don't see it. You know, in the in the folks that are involved now, I don't see a significant change of mind amongst the presidents and, and, and chancellors. Um, so, uh, again, um, one of the concerns. You know, if you when you think about that, uh, one of the analogies that I've been given is that if you did that, then certain bowls are going to be much less important than other bowls. Although you know we have a little bit of that now, um, and one bowl executive director said to me, you know, if I become a part of the NIT of college football, we won't continue the bowl. And I think that's pretty much how people feel. So if you go to an extended playoff and you have a lot of bowl, you'll probably not have the bowl system as we know it today. My guest is Michael Slive. He's the commissioner of the SEC. He's the coordinator for the BCS. We've got just a few minutes left. 
Michael, the Sugar Bowl, the BCS National Championship game, they're going to be played in New Orleans. I think it's terrific. Maybe talk about the impact of these games on the New Orleans community as they continue to rebuild. Well, it's, I think it's going to be, Brian, very significant. Um, you know, we were, we, we were, we're, this is part of our world down here, and when Katrina hit um, and the city was inundated, uh, the Sugar Bowl people stood tall. That we took, they took the game to Atlanta, kept it alive, promised to come back, did come back uh, in a in a in a refurbished Superdome, and now with the national championship, the the media and the nation can focus again on New Orleans. And I've said over and over again um, that the the question in the question is as you have posed it, it's not so much what New Orleans can do for the BCS or the national championship game, but really what we can do for for the city of New Orleans. So we're all excited about um, making a, our own contribution with all of our fans and all the media attention on a great city as it, as it continues its recovery. Last question. Florida Gators quarterback Tim Tebow just became the first sophomore to win the Heisman Trophy. You know, Tebow's obviously super impressive on the field, but i got to tell you, listening to him give his speech and listening to him do interviews, I'm probably more impressed with him off the field and how he conducts himself and his upbringing than I am with what he's done on the field. He's a, he's a very fine young man. and uh, You know, his parents are missionaries, and he was homeschooled. He obviously has, uh, has strong values. And, uh, you know, he, again, like the SEC, achieved a historic first, you know, with throwing for 20, over 20 touchdowns and running for over 20 touchdowns. So, you know, the Heisman voting, uh, Brian, really capped off a great run for the SEC. We had the first two uh, players in the, in the Heisman. and uh, So you couple that with our championships. Um, it's been, a, a, you know, it's been one of the, the, the great times for the, in the 75-year history of the SEC, and we're celebrating our 75th now. Um, and the theme is stories of character of, and what we can teach young men and women by competing and I think your description of uh, Tim Tebow's presentation certainly uh, uh, is a capstone to what we've been trying to say for a long time. Well, Michael, congratulations on all your success. Guests appearing during our SportsCent segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's a Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest, you go online to mortons.com. Happy holidays, Michael. Best of luck with the BCS National Championship and the BCS Bowl Games, and I hope to catch up with you in 2008. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much, Michael. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. The moon is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. And that's enough. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, 
We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the New England Patriots' record-setting pace includes the betting odds, too. The undefeated Patriots were made a 27-point favorite over the New York Jets in the opening line for Sunday's game at Foxborough. The line is the biggest spread in NFL history. Let's not forget that New York Jets coach Eric Mangini, he's the one who turned in the Patriots in what became known as Spygate earlier this season. Bill Belichick, I'm sure, is going to want to embarrass his old protege after the spine infractions resulted in a league record $500,000 fine against him, a $250,000 fine for the Patriots, and the loss of a first-round pick in next year's draft. Nathan, uh, it could be a, a wide margin of victory. Yeah, it could be, and certainly the Patriots will run up the score if they get the chance. I don't know if they'll run it up as high as uh, the 1940 Bears when they defeated the Redskins 73-0, to which was the largest margin of victory in the NFL. I'm going to say 40 points, but we'll see. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. Our guests, Michael Slive, Gary Planos, Linda Chung. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. A reminder, for the next two weeks, we're going to be unveiling our top 20 sports business radio headlines of the year. Next week, we'll do stories 20 to 11. And then the following week, the last weekend of 2007, we will do stories 10 to 1. If you want to make a suggestion, drop us a note at info at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week. Happy holidays. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. 